0: ever do. Fall in love with him. If you do that, you fulfill the greatest commandment. I shall love the Lord thy God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus is the mighty God in Christ. Amen. Best thing that could ever happen to you. the Best thing that ever happened to me. And it just reminds me of that wonderful song by James Cleveland. Jesus is the best thing. Never happened to me, Hallelujah! If anyone should ever write my life story, amen. Hallelujah! Praise God! Well, clap your hands under the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy of our praise and adoration. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Thank you for coming to midweek service Bible study. <clears throat> Put on your thinking cap. Do not. Leave it in the, in the car, in the, in the parking lot. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. I'm really focus on the first three tonight, but I want to read it in context. So Exodus chapter 20. We're continuing our series on the Ten Commandments, and so we'll focus on the first commandment tonight. Exodus chapter 20, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. Talk about the love of God. Hallelujah. Those that love him. And keep my Commandments. Praise God. I want to again repeat the first three verses. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse three, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your commandments. We thank you for the spirit behind the commandments. We thank you, Lord, for giving us understanding and insight. And we pray that you help us, oh Lord, to assimilate these words and, and just imbibe it spiritually into our heart and our soul. Strengthen us thereby and, and give us more understanding. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Let the church say, Amen. amen. God bless you for standing. You may be seated. <clears throat> In review of last week's lesson, we talked about the importance of the Ten Commandments and its relevancy for us today. And there are seven of them that I listed. There may be more. But the Ten Commandments are important because it establishes our our relationship between God and man. The Ten Commandments are important because it was designed to expose sin in our lives. And it's sin that, when we feel and we have knowledge of, then we begin to seek after a Savior. But the Ten Commandments are also important because they reveal not only sin, but the consequences of those sins. And we know what that is. There is judgment. And we mentioned that the Ten Commandments are important because God designed them as a guide for our lives to... Uh, to, to Help us judge our own selves in this process of sanctification. It's the process of continually eliminating sin in our lives. Because God doesn't do it all at once in one day. Now, yes, he forgives us all at once and he remits our sins all in one day. But there are still things in us. There are habits. There are selfishness. There are a lot of humanity and carnality on inside of us that really needs to be sanctified and changed. And habits are hard to die out. And we have to be changed from glory to glory into His image as by the power of God and as the, as the Lord reveals His word to us. It's a process of sanctification. And the Ten Commandments, the law themselves, help us to identify sins and helps us to confess them. And to have the power of the Spirit of God to change us. Whereby we can conform to his word and be pleasing in his sight. So it's important to us in our process of sanctification. And not only for that, but also uh, it it reveals our need for deliverance and salvation. Without the Ten Commandments and knowing that we're, we're violators of the Ten Commandments, We'd never know that all have sinned, including us. We've sinned and come short of the glory of God and that we need a savior. We, need, we want to be saved from the consequences of, and the effects of sin. And, and so we can't do it ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves. We need a savior. We need a deliverer. And finally, they reveal that we are in need of a mediator, somebody who's a go between God and ourselves. And the role of Moses himself Uh, is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ as God used Moses to be a mediator of his authority, his power, and his word from the throne of God to his people. And Moses specifically prophesied through the Holy Ghost that there would come a time, there would come another mediator, there would come another prophet like unto him who also enact a testament, a, a covenant with mankind, even as Moses did through blood. Hallelujah. And the powerful manifestation of the Spirit of God. So Jesus Christ would be that prophet, that mediator between God and man. Hallelujah. The mediator of a new and a better covenant. And that was to be Jesus Christ. But the law focuses on that. And it, it, it is like a schoolmaster, a guide that brings us to the revelation of our sin, the consequences and effects of sin, the need of salvation and deliverance, the need for a savior, the need for a mediator. And it all is accomplished because God reveals to us these 10 commandments whereby we have a knowledge of sin. Romans 3, 19 through 26 tells us about all that, the purpose of the of the law, and that's very clearly made uh, 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 inevitable, made clear to us. It's clearly made obvious to us through Paul's writing to the church in Rome in chapter 3, verse 19 through 26. Now, with respect to the first commandment, I do want to cover it and look at it in the context of the first three verses. As you know, the setting is Mount Sinai in this particular chapter already. Uh, The Israelites just came out of Egypt, and uh, God brought his people to himself, and he instructed Moses to come to Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, the people were to consecrate themselves for three days. They were to uh, uh, not engage in any carnality. They uh, were not even allowed to have intimacy with their wives, and and, uh, in the second day, they are to wash their clothes, and on the third day, they are to approach God to through, uh, through Mount Sinai, and, and Moses had to set up barricades to make sure that no one breaks through, otherwise they would die. And, and when, uh, when, when they consecrated themselves and sanctified themselves according to the word of the Lord, then God spoke to his people from the mountaintop. He spoke to Moses and to Aaron and some of the elders later on, we find out, But he spoke directly to the entire congregation of Israel where everybody heard God's voice. And Moses, as we mentioned in Deuteronomy, also records it a second time reminding Israel that there has been no other nation in the history of the world where God would speak to them directly from heaven. And he did that. And chapter 20 of Exodus records what God said. And here Moses records in chapter 20, verse 1, and God spake all these words. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God spake all these words. The Bible is very careful in telling us that God spoke, that these commands that are recorded were not an invention of man. It was not some philosophical idea that evolved from the Egyptians or from someplace else. It came directly from God. It was not Moses' words, it was God's words. What's more, the people of Israel heard for themselves these words uh, which were recorded and then later on repeated time and again uh, every year as the people had to learn and had to read the law out loud. And these are a record of what God said directly to man. In verse 2, God said, I am the Lord thy God. Which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now understand these first two verses: verse one and verse two. In them have embedded some profound revelations, five at least, that I want to just mention to you briefly tonight. Uh, and when you look at uh, these two verses, the, at the very get go, it it it. Focuses on the existence of God. When verse one, when it says, "And God, and God spake all these words," it doesn't see. It, it doesn't uh, want to to uh, to argue the fact that God exists. The Bible does not uh, uh, want to to argue the fact or debate that there's a God. It simply states that there is a God, just like in Genesis one and one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say where he came from, where he's going, who he is. Right now, it's just God. There's a God who's supreme and sovereign. He exists. He created everything. No doubt about it. Hands down, it's not debatable. You can't argue it. There is a God. Hallelujah. And there's no attempt by scripture To prove the existence of God. Because scripture assumes that every thinking person is honest enough to know and to acknowledge that God exists. Notice I said the sincere and thinking person. The honest person dishonest people who are dishonest with themselves and dishonest with people will never come to the realization of God. At least they will never acknowledge him because the moment they do, that they will feel accountable to God. In fact, that Nobel Prize winner of 1971 in biology very specifically said all that. One of the reasons that he rejects evolution is because he knows that the moment he does, then he's going to be accountable to God. And therefore, he will continue to, to spout that which he knows is not correct, simply because he does not want to be accountable to God. At least he was honest enough to say that. But many so-called scientists are not, and many so-called philosophers are not. But the fact remains that every honest person and every sincere person that really has a brain in here, and they use it, They can come to deductive reasoning and conclusions about the way the universe is set up and the way things operate from the inner and outer universe, that there has to be a God. Einstein, one of the most smartest people in the world, said in his all his calculations and physical studies and mathematics, he said, you know, God does not play dice with the universe. Simply put, with all his mathematical analyses and calculations, he realized, and all of the things that he had studied throughout the universe, there is a consistency. It is predictable. And because it's predictable, you can come up with mathematical formulas to, to explain those behaviors and those laws of the universe. And because it's predictable, there has to be somebody that did it that way. That's why he said nothing is random. Nothing is happenstance. Nothing is just a big explosion. It was designed by a thinking God. Right. Hallelujah. And so scripture assumes that. Einstein was honest to them. He did not know God, but he knew there was one. And because God exists and created man, he is bound to show him how to live. I mean, if he exists and he created us, don't you think he cares about us? And don't you think that it's incumbent upon him to, to tell us about life and show us about what pleases him or what doesn't? And that's really what the Ten Commandments are all about. And that's why God gave us these Ten Commandments, which are to be, which are to be really basic laws in society and, uh, and basic laws that govern human relationships and our relationship with God himself. So the Ten Commandments are important. And all of this we get from, the, from verse 1, God's existence and God. And when it says God, it's talking about Elohim right there. Elohim. Remember, there's, there's several names for God in the Old Testament. One the most common ones that's used for God is Elohim, the plural verse. Not that there's a plurality of persons, but a plurality of majesty and attributes. It's the total sum, majesty, and power, uh, and all that God is. Amen. And they use the word Elohim to describe God, the Father, the Creator, the everything, the source, the energy, the, the power, the, the essence of everything. Is Elohim, it's God. Hallelujah. And so this God, this Elohim, this, this Father of all things, He is the one that spoke. And that's the next thing. And God spake. God spoke. What an incredible, glorious truth that's revealed in that word right there. Simply put, we have a God that speaks to his creation. A God that still speaks to us even today. He spoke back then and he still speaks today. And I know I've, 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 there's a lot of people, even presidents and politicians, said, say, yeah, God speaks to me. And they berate him and they belittle him. They deride him and they, and they, and they, they persecute him in some ways. Trying to make him, uh, people think that he's crazy. And not at all. It's, there is a God and God speaks. And we have a written record of it for one. But we also have the record of our own hearts and our own experiences uh, as we came to God. I know God speaks to me sometimes. Hallelujah. Not at times through his word. Other times through his spirit. It gives me unction. Amen. I've not per se heard his voice audibly. And that's okay. But I've heard his voice in the Spirit in here, and I knew it was him. Hallelujah. There were times, amen, I don't want to get into the gifts of the Spirit here. Nevertheless, the bottom line is God does speak, and he speaks to us. And despite of man's denials and his rejections, despite his cursings and rebellion, God still cares for us, and he cares for you and I. And therefore, he communicated with us, telling us how to live. And men try to make even false gods speak, even idols speak. And, uh, and, and they claim that they speak, but those are lying spirits. They're, they're, they're demons that do speak. You have to be careful. If you got something in your house that you say is talking to you, you better get rid of it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I can think of one right now. I just don't know. Oh glory, hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. But they're demonic. The demonic, and it's interesting to me as I was thinking about this that that uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, when we read about the false prophet uh, who comes uh, after the uh, the the beast, the the Antichrist, there's something that he does. He he deceives people on the face of the earth. And remember, this is future tense for us here now. And we're right on the on the precipice of, of, of coming to this era, this 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 great judgment, this great time of, of the end time. And the Antichrist. And then verse fourteen, well, let me go back to uh verse thirteen. And he doth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Uh, And verse 14, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, the Antichrist, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And this is what, what really amazed me, verse 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. This was the thing from way back when. It's these idols. or oh, our idols speak Baal or Ashtaroth or, or Dagon or one of these other guys. Oh, they speak. Oh, really? You're deceiving yourself you're listening to the voice of a devil and certainly not god but they want to they want these idols to speak they want things that, that are not gods to speak to them jeremiah spoke of this to a backslidden of israel before uh, actually before judah was carried away jeremiah 10:5 it says this they the idols are upright as the palm tree but speak not Notice that, but speak not. They must needs be born, they'll be carried because they cannot go. In other words, they can't walk. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, in other words, others do harm to you. Neither is it in them to do good. These idols, people have superstitions, you know, bad luck, bad juju. You know, they have, they, have, they carry good luck charms and some people believe in some of these things that, you know, that, that brings them good luck. But it doesn't. It's a deception. And it does you absolutely no harm. In fact, there are many people who have great fear because of these things, of these superstitions. Amen. I know people that that because of, of witchcraft in their pastor and in their family, uh, there are things that demonic manifestation that they still see. Amen. And it, it has a lot to do with these relics and with these images that are really gateways to the demonic realm. But more about idolatry later on in our next lesson. Uh, God's word, God spoke. Hallelujah. The devil tries to imitate his voice. That's why we've got to keep our nose in the book because when God speaks, he's never going to speak against his word. Whenever God speaks, it'll be in alignment and harmony with the written word of God. Hallelujah. Forever thy word is settled in heaven, O Lord. Hallelujah. It's never going to change. Praise the Lord. And God spake. It was God who spoke. Amen. And when he spoke, he says, Verse 2, I am the Lord thy God. Now, when you see in your Bible, Lord, it is all capitalized. When it's all capitalized, it's referring to God's redeeming, saving name, Jehovah. Jehovah, salvation. Amen. It is the saving name of God, Jehovah. It is, again, part of a self-existent God. It is Jehovah. Jehovah. And thy God, there it is, Elohim. It's tying Jehovah and Elohim together. Elohim, who is the the father of creation, the God of all things, the the self-existent one. He's also a redeemer. He's a redeeming God. Praise God. And in this particular verse right away, God, by saying Jehovah, is revealing his redemptive and salvation name. Now, Abraham was revealed this name and said, Jehovah. But it is only the Hebrews that were able to experience the full meaning of that word. Deliverance from Egypt. Salvation from Egypt. Release from entanglement and serving a foreign nation. It was God that saved them. God that redeemed Israel. It was God who brought them out and therefore The name Jehovah Lord, the name and the meaning of that name was revealed to all the people of Israel. And this is why he said, as he leads into the first commandment, that he spake to them and he said, I am the Lord, your Redeemer, your Savior, and it's the same God who authored and created everything in the world. That's who I am. I am the God of the universe, and I am your Redeemer and your Savior. Hallelujah. The self-existent one, the only Savior, the only Redeemer, the only Deliverer, hallelujah, all that energy and essence and force and being, amen, to which everybody has their origin going back to, that's who I am, God is saying to Israel. And the name of God indicates also here that, uh, that, that God is revealing himself, that he's a Uh, He's a revealing God. He, He unveils things that are hidden. He shows things to man that are not apparent, particularly things about him. So God is a revealer. Not only does God reveal here his name, but he reveals that he's a revealer. He's the God of revelation. Praise the Lord. And his very name means he's the source of all things. And then he says, I am thy God. I'm your God. Now see that, that shows relationship. That shows that God is a God of relationship. I'm not talking about anybody else, but he says, I didn't bring anybody else. I brought you out. Hallelujah. To indicate that that God is not that far off. He's not some God so far away in the universe that you can't speak to him and you can't call on him. Not so far away that, that he doesn't see your needs and that you can't call on him, and he come to your help and come to your aid. Amen. But it tells us that God is near, your God. He is wants to be in fellowship with you and develop a personal, loving, lasting relationship. And he wants us to speak to him as he is speaking to us. If he speaks to us, that means we can speak to him. He designed us to speak to him. Hallelujah. That's why we have mouth and lips and a tongue and voice, and we've got breath in our body so we can speak to him because God is not that far away. He is your God, the God that brought you out of sin. He's your God. Hallelujah. Jesus is your God. Amen. He brought you out of the miry clay and set your feet on the rock to stay. Hallelujah. He is our redeemer. He is our God. And then he says, I am the Lord your God, which have brought thee out. I am the God of salvation, deliverance, and redemption. Hallelujah. We have to note that it was God himself who rescued Israel from Egypt. And Egypt, as you know, is a symbol, a type of sin. Pharaoh, a type of Satan. And they couldn't rescue themselves. They couldn't deliver themselves. They had to depend upon a deliverer whom God sent. That was Moses. But it was God's power. It was God's power. The ten plagues on Egypt and parting of the Red Sea. It was God that brought them out unto himself. And the ten commandments were given to save us as to save them from the lawlessness and the evil that you find in the world. Hallelujah! Now, when I say the Ten Commandments were given to save us, we know that the Ten Commandments can't save anybody. Amen. Can only condemn. But the but but the process of salvation comes through first of all the Ten Commandments because it is what reveals sin, and it brings it to our awareness. And as a result, when we see our need, we begin to seek a savior, a deliverer, and you get the picture. And we go through the process of of, of salvation and Sanctification. So the Ten Commandments are, are, in essence, indispensable in our salvation. And uh, it, they also help us from, from, from avoiding uh, the, the, the sins of the world. And any nation, this is why, if any nation uh, holds these commandments dear, will have a better society. God, in the beginning, though, in the very beginning of Israel's life, wanted to spare his people from that spirit of lawlessness. I'm talking about covetousness and greed and lying and stealing. I'm talking about adultery and murder and abuse and cursing God and false worship and unbelief and denying God and violating the Sabbath. And it's not necessarily just like in the Old Testament context, but even today it is neglecting our worship of God and neglecting the temple Of the Holy Ghost and not resting, not taking enough time to rest. Yeah, it's also being filled with the Holy Ghost because this is the rest with all, wherewithal you shall cause the weary to rest. And not many people take advantage of that rest of the Holy Ghost. And all you have to do is answer the question, Was the last time you spoke in tongues? This is the rest, wherewithal you shall cause the weary to rest. How many is taking advantage of that Sabbath and the Lord? Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Praise God. But the Sabbath it's a time of, of rest and a time of worshiping God. And it's a time to, to reflect and be thankful, practicing gratitude. And so it's important for us to have that Sabbath in God. And in a day even, when we come together, even the, uh, the, 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 the first church, uh, when, when, when the old covenant passed, as it was passing even, they began to meet on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Hallelujah. Sunday is when they started uh, coming together on the day that the Lord rose from the dead, right? So God declares to us who he is. He declares the power that he has and where he demonstrated the power, which was in Egypt. I am the Lord thy God that brought thee out of Egypt, and I am supreme. Hallelujah. He reveals his name as Jehovah, the Lord, the self-existent, the eternal one, thy God, Elohim, the supreme God. Hallelujah. How did they know? How did his people know that he was a supreme God? Well, because of his power. Egypt had 2,000 gods, and 2,000 gods could not stop the supreme God. It was that supreme God that did all those miracles, turned the water into blood. It was that supreme God that destroyed every firstborn of Egypt. It was that supreme God that separated the waters, and, and his people could march across dry ground. It was the supreme God that revealed himself to his people that did that. I am the Lord thy God that delivered you and brought thee out from Egypt. And the power that he demonstrated is what gave him, the supreme God, credibility with the people. Now, you have to be careful. I think God doesn't need any credibility for himself. He's God, no matter what you think of him. When he is an act of reaching out and redeeming us, he, he, he manifests his power for a purpose. And when he demonstrated his power toward his people, it succeeded in turning the hearts of his people more and more towards him with every miracle that he performed. He wasn't doing a circus act. He was touching and wooing his people, showing them how much he loved them, how much he cared about them, that he's going to use his power upon the so-called 2,000 gods and the most powerful empire, the most powerful emperor in the world to overcome them and deliver them and with great power and with great substance. And they did. And so this great exercise of power that they witnessed is what gave God credibility in the eyes of his own people. And his credibility is what gave him this authority in the eyes of the people by which he would come to them and issue these commands that he expected them to perform. These commands. So is this power, there's credibility, and that, from that which comes authority, and it establishes the basis of God's sovereignty in the eyes of man. God's sovereignty. That's important. I looked up that word in a dictionary. There's, there's several uh, meanings for that. But I wanted to nail it down the best as I could, particularly in the spiritual context. A lot of it is the political context uh, in, in regards to monarchies and even democracies. But, but sovereign will, it, it says so sovereignty is the supreme power or authority. Supreme power and authority. It's one who exercises power. A sovereign is one who exercises power without limitation. Sovereignty is one who has authority to make laws without interference of others. In other words, he can't be vetoed. You can object to it, but you can't veto it. You can either obey it or you can violate it, but you can't make the law. Only God has the sovereign authority and power to make the laws that he sets down. Thus the Ten Commandments. Why? Because he's all-powerful. He demonstrated it. With that, he gained credibility. And with that came his authority. And he used that exercise, to the authority with his people and said, these are the commandments I'm commanding you and I want you to live by. it. And thus, if you follow me, I will be your sovereign and i want to be your sovereign in other words i want to be your god and your god alone i want to be the only one that makes laws over you and your life i want to be the one that makes the most important decisions you or rather sets the boundaries and the parameters for you making some of the most important decisions in your life cuz i'm a sovereign I'm your God. I'm your God. I brought you out of the ash heap of history. I brought you out from the ash heap of sin. I brought you out from your addictions. I brought you out from your your terrible life. I brought you off of the road and highway to hell. I put your feet on a straight and narrow on the way to heaven. And I gave you my power. I gave you incredible power. I manifested there the day you received the baptism of my spirit. I have credibility with you. I should. And therefore, I have authority as well. And if you abide by my authority, then I will be your sovereign king. In other words, when we say sovereign and God is sovereign, we are saying that God is God alone. He's supreme and he possesses sole power and authority to make laws without any interference of man. He is sovereign. Can you say praise the Lord? Lord. See, this is why in in verse 3 of Exodus 20, as we read, God could say, issuing his first command, thou shalt have no other God before me. Because there's only one, and that's me. And I proved it to you with my power, with my authority, my deliverance my salvation, what else do you need? As a result, I demand that you have no other gods before me. Because God is God alone. So the first command demands that people have only him as God. He doesn't want to just be first among many. He doesn't want to be your just, just your, your your favorite God among many others. He wants to be the only God that you will ever worship as God. And that's essentially the first commandment. He doesn't want just to be the first among many, but rather he wants to be the only one to be worshipped by you and nothing else. And because he's supreme, he is Lord, he's eternal. And he is alone to be worshiped and there's nobody else. And he wants your full attention and all of our heart. All of our heart. Praise God. So what is the reason for this command that God gave? Thou shalt have no other God. Now we, we see why. Uh, he issued that command and by what authority, what power, and and, 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 and as the only God on the block, <laughs> there is no other. He could say, "I don't want you to worship any other god." But but why would it be wrong to have some other gods, who are if, especially if they're not really gods? Well, first of all, uh, if you worship other gods, it offends the one true God. If you're worshiping and bound down to something or, or someone who, who claims to be God and yet God has all revealed himself and he is the one and only true supreme God, what would that do to you? Wouldn't you be upset? That's why God said, I'm a jealous God. I brought you out to myself. I did everything I do, uh, I could do for you to supply your needs because I love you. I, I, I've done so many great things for you now you've got to turn your love and affection to something else. That's not even a God. And so when, when people worship something other than the one true God, they're in effect saying uh, that, that, that there's something uh, or they're relying on this on this something, that has power to help them or save them other than god and imagine if 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 i made a god out of this podium and i would say this is my god and i would worship it and fall down i would i would pray to it and i would bring sacrifices to it and and this thing has never spoken to me huh? i hope it hadn't spoken to you either hope the person behind the pulpit spoke to you, but I hope this thing didn't speak to you. But imagine then going, going further and, and, and worship here, you know, in, in, in worship of this, of this solid inanimate object that I would cut myself and let blood gush out. And worse than that, I would take my children and kill them and sacrifice them to this object. What a slap in the face of the one true God. That's why idolatry is so wrong. That's why sin. And God takes great offense to it. And there are sincere religious people out there, zealous people. You can be zealous of worshiping an idol, but zealousness is never a substitute for truth. Zeal is never a substitute for truth. And uh, I mean, it, 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 it can... God will, 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 you know, wink at such ignorance for a while, but eventually, if there's no response in obedient faith, then they'll have to face the consequences of the end of their faith, and that's destruction. Zeal is good, but again, it's no substitute for truth. Paul made reference to this, in fact, because you know, even Jesus in John four talked about, you know, there's many kinds of worshippers, but the true worshippers. Are they that worship the Lord in spirit and truth? John 4, 23 and 24. He tells us that a woman at the well, right? But in, uh, in in Romans chapter 10, I'm not sure. Did I give this to you, sister? Oh, okay, good. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 3, the apostle Paul is writing about his desire for Israel that they might be saved. He says, brethren, writing to the church now in Rome. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You can have a zeal of God for idols and for whatever religion you're part of. and There are a lot of zealous people who follow their religion. You could even be... An Old Testament Orthodox Jew that thinks they're worshiping God like Saul, the apostle, did before he became Paul. Persecuted in the church. He had zeal, but not according to knowledge, not according to the knowledge of the true God. And the Jews didn't have that either for they rejected Christ. Verse 3, this is why Paul said, for they, these zealous Jewish people, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, that is self-righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You can have zeal and still be lost. And so zeal is not the proof, the proof, is your obedient faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the one true God. Hallelujah. And the sad truth is that if you do not worship God here on earth in this life, you will not worship in in heaven to come. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, we have to ask the question, how do we violate this commandment? Uh, And what do we have to do? Well, The bottom line is those who do not worship God through Jesus Christ. A lot of people have different ideas of God, but the truth is that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God chose to reveal himself in the face of Jesus Christ, and the Word was made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was God, and the Word that God became flesh. So if we worship God, we have to worship Him through Jesus Christ. And if we don't worship that one true God through Jesus, we're in violation of the first commandment. Consider Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, that invisible portion of God. Jesus is the only visible, visible portion of God we'll ever see, that glorified body, that body that the invisible God occupied while on earth, which we refer to as the sonship, as that body of God. Hallelujah. God has highly exalted him, that at that name, that at Jesus, every knee should bow. You think that God would allow that if Jesus was some other God than the one true God? People would bow down him and confess his name and and, and allow them to get away with idolatry if God is somebody else? See, God, the only one true God, is manifest through the face and body of Jesus Christ. Remember how I mentioned to you during the Easter message how that the invisible God chose to mediate all his authority and power through the sonship, the body of Jesus Christ. And Peter preached on that as well. And he brought that forth on the day of Pentecost. Amen. And, uh, and, and that's why uh, we, we, when we worship Jesus, we're worshiping God. And God chose That all creation should worship him now through the new covenant, through Jesus. That's why when you say Jesus, hallelujah, that redemptive name, that saving name, that delivering name, that most highly exalted name, the one that Peter said in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What is it, Jesus, that Jehovah, salvation, Yeshua? It's Yahweh, that deliverer that God reveals right here to his people, Israel. I am the Lord thy God, verse 2, Lord, Jehovah, Jehovah, salvation. In the New Testament, we see it in the face of Jesus Christ embodied. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians five nineteen. a quote, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's the only way to God is through the sonship of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by or through me. Jesus is the only way to God. You want to get to God? You do it through Jesus. And if anyone does not worship Jesus Christ as God, he's breaking the first commandment. John 3, 18, and this is right after John three sixteen, if you note. Know, and everybody knows John 3:16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that He that believeth on should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then go verse 17, and but verse 18 is mostly neglected. But it says this: He that believeth on Him, Jesus, is not condemned. Of course. They have to see what the definition is of believing on, believing on Jesus. You get to the Acts chapter 11. Hallelujah. When you look at Acts chapter 11, what Peter said before the uh, interrogators of the Jerusalem council, Amen. Uh, they asked, why did you go to the Gentiles' house? Well, who was I to withstand God when he filled the Gentiles with the baptism of the Holy Ghost who believed on God or Christ as we did at the beginning? Which means Peter was referring to the fact that Hey, they received the Holy Ghost just like we did on the day of Pentecost. That's what it means to believe on Christ. Oh, hallelujah. That's a different Bible study altogether. But, verse, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name, everybody say name, Name. of the only begotten son of God. The only manifestation of God for salvation that the world has ever known or will ever know is in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why salvation comes through God in Christ, Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And anyone does not worship God through him is in violation of the first commandment. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10 bears witness to this as well, to the severe consequences of them that don't receive Christ and don't believe his gospel. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe. And now He just says in in parentheses, to those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. In other words, you're going to be a part of those saints because you believed our preaching. You believed our testimony. You believed on Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. As a result, you repented of your sins. You were baptized in Jesus' name. You were filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now when he comes and appears, he comes back to get us. You will be there among the company who will be glorified, amen, who will be admired. You will admire him, hallelujah, that believe, he says, in that day. When that day comes, we will admire him and he will be admired in us. Praise the name of the Lord. Clap our hands unto the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to clap my hands. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So how do the followers of Jesus Christ, the born-again Christians, violate this commandment? Well, you can. Unfortunately, you can. See, those who are devoted to or even controlled by or unduly influenced by something or someone else other than Christ, if they give their preeminence to somebody other than the Lord Jesus, they're in violation of this commandment as well. And we have some examples in the New Testament uh, in Matthew 27, 1 through 10, we have the example of Judas. who was a follower of, of the Lord, three years plus. Three years following after the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that you know, he loved money. He loved money more than he loved Jesus. Paul said to Timothy, says, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. Not money, the love of money. And when you love money more than Jesus then you're going to end up like Judas. You're going to betray him. And he ended up betraying the Lord, and he killed himself in the end. Terrible ending. Acts 5, verse 1 through 11, we learn about Ananias and Sapphira. They loved the approval and the prestige of people. That's why they lied uh, to Peter and to the Holy Ghost, because they said they sold their land their possessions for such and such amount of money. The amount is not revealed, but they claimed that they sold it uh, and and. They held money back on the side, and uh, and they claimed that they gave all of the price of the land to the church, as everybody was doing, and uh, and uh, they lied. And of course, you know the story: husband and wife died separately, minutes apart from each other, as they were asked by Peter and others, uh, "Did you pay so and so so much for or get so much for the land?" He says, "Yeah." So, uh-huh. well, one died, the other one died. And, uh, and it was because of the love of money. The love of money. They betrayed the Lord. And they died. I don't believe that they made it to heaven. Peter says, Why has you have allowed Satan to enter your heart and, and lied to the Holy Ghost? Revelation 21 8 tells us, But the fearful. And the abominable and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire forever and ever. I don't believe they made it. And yet they were born again of the water and the Spirit. That's grace in action for you. Grace teaches. Colossians 4:14 4, and 2 Timothy 4:9 through 10 you can read about Demas. He was a co-worker with Paul for several years and Paul had this testimony of him having he left me having loved this present world. He left me having loved this present world. You can leave the church, you can leave the ministry, You can leave following Jesus Christ when the world draws you and pulls you away. And you allow that lure, that end, that allurement, many of them, to get a hold of your heart and pull you away from the one true God that really matters. Each one of the above, Demas and Judas and Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they all had a good beginning. But it's not how you begin, it's how you end. And just like the parable of the seed teaches, things just got in the way of following Jesus. So sometimes, as we see, it it, it can be the fear of rejection and persecution that keeps people from following and continuing their path and and, and their walk with God, they fall away. It could be their own pride that causes them to fall because, you know, pride goes before the fall. And uh, it could be that they just couldn't humble themselves like we should, like Ananias and Sapphira. And sometimes it's, again, the pull of the world, the draw, the pleasures, Uh, especially today with all the things that are going on. I'm telling you, uh, we're in the last days. But if we're faithful to the church, that's the key. This is so important. This is why we harp on, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because when you're faithful to the church, you're, and this is the body, right? I mean, are we part of the body of Christ or not? He's the head. So when we're faithful to the body, we're faithful to the head. Jesus wants to fellowship with us here. A lot of our Christian activities take place in the congregational setting like this. Not all, but a lot. And it's important for us to get together because here, this is the body. For by one spirit are we baptized into one body. Our salvation is meant to be lived out in the context of a body, not individually, not separated. We need each other. We need to fellowship one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to, to, to strengthen our faith with each other. And we need to minister Minister through the body. Hallelujah. So when you're faithful to the body, you're also faithful to the head, which is Christ, who's the one and only true God, who's to be worshipped and served. We come here for do what? To worship him. We come here to serve him. Who do we worship? The one true God. And so when you come to the body, when you come to the church, you're worshipping him. You're worshipping the head. And by that, you're showing your faithfulness not just to the local church here. You've shown faithfulness to His body and to His head, Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so for us Christians, our compliance to this command just grows and increases the more that we submit every area of our lives to His Lordship. And that's a work of sanctification also, really. And in growing in Christ and growing in grace. What is it? It's, you know, God doesn't come in and take over everything in one day in your life. And when I say take, it's it's, it's, uh, too harsh of a word. It isn't, quote unquote, it. He takes the sin away right away. That's for sure. That's good. But there's things in our lives that need to be removed. God speaks to us about that. He he deals with us on those things. And it's not a one-day work. It's a process and a progress. Amen. It's a progressive thing. But in that process, he, he, you know, there's certain areas in our lives that, that, that it takes time for us to yield and surrender to God. And so when we're talking about the, the, sovereign, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ uh, and his lordship, his sovereignty grows when, when I surrender more and more of these areas of my, my, my finances. The more you surrender your, your finances that he is sovereign, and if he speaks to you, hallelujah, then he can speak to you freely because you're following him and, and you have made him truly your Lord. Business decisions, career decisions, when you submit that to the Lord and to the head, your head, amen, family matters, human relationships. Do I marry this person? Don't I marry this person? Hallelujah. Do I pursue this relationship or do I not? When he deals with you and I about about problems that are workstations and God's dealing with your heart and how you should deal with them, if he's dealing with anger in your area because you've not surrendered a certain area in your life, well, that's growing in God. And the more you and I yield ourselves to the lordship, lordship of Jesus, the more. He will be the sovereign in our life. And my life of worship. You know, when you when you surrender your, your life of worship, uh, then you will worship him in spirit and truth. Praise God. Stand with me if you will. I will close with this one verse from John chapter 12. And this is Jesus speaking. This is the very last time that Jesus speaks. In public before his crucifixion. The last time that he's before a crowd. And before he leaves the world stage. And goes to uh, the cross. And his grave. And his resurrection. And he's seen no more except to those to whom he revealed himself as witnesses. And in verse 44, John chapter 12, Jesus said this. And Jesus cried, that's a loud voice, and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that hath seen me seeth him that hath sent me. See what he's doing? He's he's focusing on on his ministry of of the previous 11 chapters here. says, you've seen my power. You've seen who I am. You've seen and heard my teachings. I am God manifest in the flesh. Now, what are you going to do with me? Either you accept me as God or you will reject me as God. That's why he said that if you, uh, verse 44, I'll, I'll read it again. He that believes on me believeth not on me, but on him who sent me. You see the connection here? If you think you're believing in God, but you're saying I'm not part of him, amen, and I have nothing to do with him, you're confusing the issue because I am. He who came down in visible form. If you believe on me, you're believing on him, right? John 14, if you're going further, his disciples, he addressed the same issue, right? Amen. Philip says to God, Lord, Show us the Father suffices us. So, Philip, have I been such a long time with you and yet you still don't know me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. So, here he is now, Jesus, publicly, not his disciples, but in a public setting. If you believe on me, you should believe on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, that's the invisible spirit, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world. That whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. That doesn't mean that he's he's not going to judge the world. What he's simply saying is, That God did not need to put on humanity and flesh to judge the world. He didn't need to become flesh to judge the world. He could have judged the world all without the the, the birth and Bethlehem. He could have have, uh, uh, judged the world without His advent. But He couldn't save the world. So, so I didn't come to judge the world. I'm going to do that later. I came here now to save the world. I came to reveal to mankind in a greater degree that they would know God, the one true, invisible, omnipotent, supreme God in flesh, and that's me. Now, what are you going to do with me? I didn't come to judge you. I came to save you, and the only way I can do it is by shedding my blood. That's why I came in flesh. I don't need that to judge you because I'm going to judge anyhow. Verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word. The word that I have spoken. God speaks. God speaks to Jesus. God speaks to you. God speaks to the Spirit. God speaks to His word. God speaks to His servants, His preachers. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. And whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So we can know how to make Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior of our lives through this word that he has spoken. We can make him Lord and we can worship him as the only true God and make him Lord of every aspect of our lives because his word guides us to that. The commandments, the laws are all given as a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. To lead us to Christ. To lead us to salvation. To lead us to the understanding of that one true God. And in the end, this word that guided us all throughout is what's going to judge us. You see in Revelation 20, it says the books were open and then the book of life. The books, 66 books. Bible says, the sea and hell, death will all deliver up the souls that's in them, and the great and small, everybody will stand before God and they will be judged according to the deeds the works, according to the books, and this is what judges their behavior. Now, if you're in a rapture, you're not going to be standing there. You've already gone through the judgment seat of Christ, and the Bible says the second death is no, has no power over them, and you're not there. You already received your reward. But the, judge will, the Word will judge us. Hallelujah. Listen, folks, the Ten Commandments are important, still relevant to this day. Thou shalt have no other God before me, he says. The first commandment. Next week, we'll talk about idolatry. Thou shalt make no graven image. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hand and worship the one true God, shall we? Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation of your name, the revelation of your word, revelation of hidden things, revelation of the end times, revelation of things to come, revelation of the mystery of the church. Your body, your revelation, oh God, the mighty God in Christ. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your gift of the Holy Ghost. Bless your name, oh Lord. Bless your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.